You know I like these dumb jokes, right? All right, so here's some deep thoughts by Jack Handy. Some people are like slinkies. They don't really serve a purpose, but they do bring a smile to your face if you give them a little shove and watch them fall down the stairs. Is that naughty to say in church? Children need encouragement, so if a kid gets an answer right, tell him it was a lucky guess so that he grows up developing a good lucky feeling. Before you criticize someone, you should first walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. Last one. I took one out. Should I put it back in? Should we do five? Dad always thought laughter was the best medicine, which I guess is probably why several of us died of tuberculosis. You guys don't understand my sense of humor. Let's listen to the word of the Lord. We're still in Colossians. And um, today my challenge will be to take two pages per point and compress it down to a few sentences. Here's the verse. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. So let's start with this one. Here. Here. Now where is that? Where is here? Here there's no uh, any of these distinctions. Where's the here? Here is in the community that God has created consisting of those people who are in Christ. So among God's people These distinctions, these distinctions that all of these distinctions, oh, by the way, this is slide one. All of these distinctions are the way the world is. In society, this is how, that means switch to the next slide. All, in society, these distinctions, this is how people figure out who they are and who they're not and who they like and who they don't and where they fit and who's in and who's out and who they love and who they hate. Society arranges itself now and always has around these kinds of distinctions. But Paul says, in Jesus, all the distinctions the world uses to derive identity and purpose and family and and where you fit in the pecking order are obliterated. All the regular categories used to divide up society and figure out who, who you are and who I am, they do not apply. Who's with me? Okay? And I'm just going to skip right over two pages of notes right there. Next slide. In the community that God has created consisting of those individuals who are in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew. Guys, do you understand how absolutely, like, fantastically massive that is for Paul to write? Paul, who was a Jew who grew up in 
in synagogue being taught covenant, being taught that you have a special relationship to God and you are different from all the other nations on the earth because you are Jewish, you are in, you are in covenant with God and everyone else is outside of covenant with God. That's what you, were, you grew up with that. You grew up with the idea that there are Jews who are right with God and there are Gentiles who don't know God and the Jews hang out with Jews to be faithful to God and they do not fraternize, they do not associate, they do not affiliate with, they do not eat with Gentiles because they might become polluted with idols. They were they trained them up from little on. You honor the Sabbath, you eat kosher, you marry in the faith, and you're circumcised. And the circumcision is a symbol of I'm, I'm committing to follow all these distinctive laws God gave to Israel. So for Paul to say... Here in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile. He is, that, that is, oof, that'll get you killed. That'll get you, that'll get you persecuted. That'll get you shot among the communities that he was in. In fact, Paul, remember this, used to persecute, track down, hunt, and arrest Jesus worshipers because he thought they were opposed to everything that was biblical. So by being as faithful to the Bible as possible, he became a very, very, very angry person whose best idea of how to serve God was to be, a, was to be against the Jesus group. Interesting. And then he meets Jesus and the whole thing flips. Paul meets Jesus and the whole thing flips. The next thing you know, he's going back to the same Jewish Bible he grew up with his whole life and he's reinterpreting all these passages in the light of the Jesus who knocked him off the horse on the Damascus road. And so he comes to Genesis 1, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, which says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to a land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And whoever blesses you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And all his life, he had this mindset. If you support Israel, God, you're on God's team because we're blessed instead of the rest. Now, now he sees this thing through the lens of Jesus. And now he reinterprets the whole prophecy. No longer does he think of Israel as being blessed instead of the rest. But now he thinks of Israel being made up of Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. And that the purpose of election is to bring others into election. Instead of being chosen instead of the rest, you're chosen on behalf of the rest. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're ble- through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Why? Because through you comes the Messiah. And through the Messiah comes your inclusion into the covenant family. The whole thing gets re- This old passage that was used... To say, it's all about what you do with Israel politically, is now flipped. And now it's all about what you do with Jesus. And so Paul just completely reprograms his whole brain. And all these passages that were so familiar to him, he reinterprets in light of Christ. No more Jew and Gentile distinction. It's why the book of Romans was written. I have too much to say. Next slide. In In the community God has created, consisting of the individuals who are in Christ, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised. Oh, man. This sounds like, well, what is that all about? Here's what it's all about. There's no earning. 
There's no varsity, junior varsity status. If you're in, you're in, and you're not in because you earned it. We're called to obey Jesus, but we don't obey Jesus in order to earn our relationship with Jesus. We obey Jesus because we have a relationship with Jesus. We're given everything by grace. So for Paul, again, circumcision was a sign, was a mark that the person had to do to show that they were covenanting to obey the whole law. And now Paul has encountered the reality that the internal reality that external circumcision symbolizes is coming to Gentiles, and they're not even Jewish. They're not circumcised. They're not following the dietary code. They've never even heard Moses' law. They just said they're yes to Jesus, and the Spirit of God comes inside of them, and love comes inside of them. The reality that outward circumcision is supposed to point to, which is a transformed heart of faith in God, these Gentiles are just saying yes to Jesus. Wham! The reality is here. And he goes, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You have to accept them. The church, the early church was all Jewish people. Remember this? At the beginning, they didn't, they didn't have Gentiles yet. And when God started to pour out his spirit on Gentiles, before they became in any way Bible obeyers, it freaked them out. What do we do? What do we do? And Paul says, oh my word, guys. The whole community receives identity through grace, through gift. The only thing that matters is Jesus, says Paul. In fact, he says, I'm not going to go there. There's just so much there. The book of Galatians was huge for me in my, in my journey. Like when I met Jesus, I, I really, really, really wanted to please the Lord. And how many of you know the harder you try to please the Lord, more, the more aware you are of the ways in which you're still not getting there? Anyone? The harder you strive, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please the Lord. I'm going to be absolutely sinless today. Is gonna, I'm going to go for it. The more aware you then become of those imperfections. And if you have a hungry spirit for Jesus, if you have a good heart, if you have a new heart, the enemy can work you and bring you into a place of shame, guilt, condemnation, and feeling worthless and unworthy. He can convince you your prayers don't reach. They don't even hardly break through the drop ceiling, much less the actual roof. You know? And it was this little book called Galatians where Paul said, hey, buddy, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. You're not being measured. God's not measuring you and, and looking to see if you measure up to see if he's going to love you today, to see if he's going to forgive you today, to see if he's going to accept you today. He's looking at one thing alone. He's looking at Jesus in you and saying, ah, I see Jesus in you. And how did Jesus get in you guys? You just said yes. That's all it is. I trust you, Jesus. Save me. I trust you, Jesus. I look to you. I depend on you. Man, that little book, Galatians, changed my life. Set me free. Next one. No barbarian or Scythian. Okay. So just how if you were a Jew, you would look at Gentiles as below you and beneath you and further from God than you. And maybe you could let them come with you to church. You know what I mean? But you wouldn't actually like listen to their opinion like it was as valid as yours. Because you're the Jew. You have, you're the one who grew up with the wisdom of the Bible. These people just got in on our coattails. That's the temptation. And Paul says, that's nonsense. They have the spirit. You have the spirit. They're going to be able to teach you things. You're going to be able to teach them things. Every one of you has equal access. Well, the same way that a Jew was tempted to look down on Gentiles, the Greco-Romans were looking down on other people. Because you know how everybody has a group they look down on. You know what I mean? At least I'm not so-and-so, says somebody, you know? And for them, it was... The barbarians and the Scythians. The word barbarian actually is just sort of a word that was them making fun of the sound, the barbar, the, 
the, the babbling, the baby talk, the, it was making fun of their language. These people talk so stupid. They're, they're uncultured oafs. And Scythians then are people from, uh, a separate group of people from modern-day southern Russia near the Black Sea. And a, any Roman person would have felt like, oh, here comes that Scythian. An uncouth, uncultured, you know, spit on the ground in the house, not brush your teeth, never clean out your ears. You just, just whatever it is that's offensive to your culture, Scythian would have felt that way to them. And Paul, so Paul's using carefully chosen language. If you're Jewish, you might look down on Gentiles. It's, that's not, that, that's gone in Christ. If you're Roman and you're like, well, those barbarians, that's gone in Christ. Right? It's too bad we'll just never know what it's like to live in a society where people look down on each other based solely on ethnicity. Because then this passage might apply to us. Oh, well. Next slide. In the community, that was sarcasm, friends. Okay? 2,000 years later, and we're still fighting the battle to see everybody as actually mattering just as much to the Lord. We're still fighting the same battle. Okay? In the community that God has created consisting of those individuals who are in Christ, there's also no slave or free. Now, in the ancient world, see, this is about class. You know, are you, wor- are you upper class? Are you working class? Are you lower class? Are you below the working class? In their culture, that was slaves. In the Roman social order, you have patricians at the top. They have all the power. They kind of inherit power and status. Uh, too bad we don't know anything about a ruling class that has lots of money and inherits the prestige and the opportunity to run for offices just based on who they are related to. I guess we're way beyond that now. We still do this, guys. It's blowing my... Oh, we are a democratic republic. Are we, though? Really? How much money do you have to have? Anyway. But in their culture, the patricians were at the top. Wealthy landowners, landowners, uh, they were on uh, councils and they served as senators and praetors and, and they were the descendants of the founding, founding fathers of the, of, of the Roman society. Then the, under them were the plebeians. They were wealthy enough that they then gained the right to intermarry with the patricians. And then under them, now we're down with the, with the working class, were the freemen. The freemen were people who used to be slaves, but they either were set free by their masters or they bought their freedom. And then under them were the slaves. They were treated harshly. They were whipped. They were beaten. They were branded. They were usually poor people who either got into debt, got displaced, were immigrants. Because an immigrant coming to a country where they don't know people doesn't have safety, doesn't have social protections, and they don't want to starve. So you often find yourself a slave. Because, think about it, Welfare didn't exist. Unemployment didn't exist. And slavery was horrible and atrocious. But is it really? Well, maybe sometimes. I was going to say, is it really worse than death? And the answer is maybe sometimes. So this is the culture in which Paul's ministering and speaking. And you go, man, why didn't Christianity end slavery? Well, eventually it did, actually. And if you look in the New Testament itself, remember the book of Philemon? Paul writes a letter to his friend Philemon because Paul has led a runaway slave named Onesimus. He's led him to Jesus. So Paul writes a letter to Philemon and says, Hey, buddy, 
I have Onesimus, Onesimus with me. I just wanted to let you know that uh, since now he's a brother in Christ, I'd really like for you to release him from slavery. And I know that you'll do the right thing. Oh, and also, I'd just like to remind you that uh, if it weren't for me, you'd be going to hell. So it's kind of like you owe me your soul. Anyway, think about it. Read, read Philemon. Paul does not shy away from being like straight up with. He's hardcore. But think about this. In society, you don't even have a voice if you're a slave. But in the church, man, this blew my mind. I heard somebody say, in the church, you could be a bishop and you'd still be a slave in the society. Think about that with me, guys. That's so countercultural. So here's some applications to us. In the church, it don't matter how poor you are, how rich you are. You eat at the same table. In the building, you eat at the same table. You all have the same Holy Spirit. You operate in whatever gifts the Lord gave you, regardless of how much money you have. Right? And so you might have someone who's poor by the world standards, who's prophesying to someone who's rich by the world standards, and the rich and the poor alike are brothers in equal footing in Christ. In all of these things, we don't need to make a big political stand on these things and like, we're going to fix the world through activism. You know, I think we need is to model in our relationships in the local church what this looks like. We have plenty of angry people who, wave, who are waving flags and posting hashtags and who are... We have enough of that already. You know what we lack is happy people who you can watch. That's what it looks like to live out love. That, yeah. This vision of a community where there's no class division. In, in Galatians, he actually even includes gender in this thing. No male, no female. Before he says slave or free. Because this is a theme for Paul. God's building a new humanity. And all the distinctions, the way the world finds identity and purpose and validity and fights for to have a voice and to be significant. We're going to get justice. The gospel deals with and wipes the slate clean and says every individual has the same value to God. And Jesus is the proof. Which is offensive if you're on top in the world. Because it humbles, the gospel humbles the proud. And it lifts up those who the world overlooks. So that we're all on equal footing before the cross. Equal footing before the cross. There's so much here. And I have not even... Well, okay. And I have only begun, there, let's be accurate. I was about to say, I haven't even begun. Of course you've begun. This, you just talked for 20 minutes, Tim. There's a lot here. And I don't know what to say to make us feel how critically important this is to the Lord's heart. But man, can you pray with me that God would make us 
a congregation where um, worldly status means nothing? Where wealth or poverty here means nothing? To where ethnic background is not something that's going to exclude you from full participation? Isn't it weird when we operate differently than the kingdom? Right? The gentleman who founded this church, John Mishler, he often would lead people to Jesus and then disciple them. But because of the denomination's policies with divorced and remarried people, he would have to refer them to go to a Methodist church because they weren't allowed to be members here if they were divorced and remarried. He pushed, and now the denomination says, we still hold marriage in such high regard, but we also have to be able to show grace to people when life turns sideways. And John pushed, and the whole denomination switched their policy isn't that because they were accepted into God's kingdom, but they weren't allowed to be members here? It's always bad when we're not allowed to practice what Jesus practices because of our church traditions. That's bad. So for 2,000 years, I feel like we've been kind of not living out this passage all that well. Who's with me? Holy Spirit, can you help us? Love like you love, welcome who you welcome, affirm who you affirm, and call everyone to the same repentance. Invite everyone to the same table of grace and love. And we'll be so grateful because we'll see a different humanity than we've ever seen before. And that's your work, Holy Spirit. It's not our work, but we want to do our part. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.